Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Dry Farm Wines. This is the only wine I drink anymore. After researching and finding that many other wines contain added sugar, dyes like ultra red and mega purple, and filtering agents, including fish bladders, egg whites, and some other unsavory ingredients, and things like sawdust to improve the taste. But the dry farm part is important too. What this means is that the grapes are not irrigated. Without the water, they don't get as big or as sweet, yielding higher nutrient and lower alcohol wines naturally. Their wines are lab tested for purity and to make sure that they are free of even trace amounts of pesticides and herbicides. And they're all sourced from small family dry farm vineyards all over the world. I absolutely love their wines and I find them to be less expensive than other high quality wines. And Wellness Mama listeners can get an extra bottle of wine for a penny at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash wine. That's wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash wine. This podcast is brought to you by Paleo Valley. If you have not tried these, they're awesome. They make grass-fed, naturally fermented beef and now pastured turkey sticks that are high in protein and nutrients and also a good source of probiotics because they're naturally fermented and they're shelf-stable so you don't have to keep them refrigerated. We bring these along whenever we travel and our kids love them all the time as part of an on-the-go meal. I bring them whenever I travel because they've saved me so many times from airport food. And Wellness Mama listeners can get 20% off of any order at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash paleo valley, all one word, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash paleo valley. Hello, and welcome to the Healthy Moms podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com, and I am super excited about today's guest because I have admired his work for years, and I can't wait to share him with you. His name is Taro Isakopila, and he's a leading world, he's leading a worldwide mushroom movement. You might have heard of him as the founder of Four Sigmatic because I talk about them all the time, but he is making functional mushrooms accessible to any and everyone. Cool thing, he was born in Finland, and he grew up on a farm that his family has owned since 1619, so longer than our country has existed. That's pretty amazing. Um, He's learned to forage for mushrooms and other wild foods while also learning about natural food space at an early age, and I can't wait to jump in and talk about that and and how do we impart this to our children as well. Um, After growing frustrated with the low-quality mushroom products on the market and discovering how difficult it was to obtain these mushrooms here, Taro founded Four Sigmatic in 2012. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Healing Mushrooms, and considered a worldwide expert. So Tara, welcome and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on. Excited to chat. Me too. And I feel like um, this is such a fascinating topic, and I will try to keep it from getting too nerdy, but my instinct is to totally geek out with you on <laughs> all, all things mushrooms. But to start, I want to like kind of go through some of the basics to make sure everybody understands the starting point. So can you start really broad level and just take us through the difference between like culinary mushrooms, for instance, and medicinal mushrooms? And are there other categories of mushrooms as well? Yeah, there actually are. So mushrooms are technically not even all kinds of fungi. So fungi or fungi, there's no right or wrong way to say it, are a kingdom, same way as plants are a kingdom or animals are a kingdom. There's many kinds of animals, mammals and reptiles, and the same way there's many kinds of fungi. And they obviously get lumped in a little more differently than just culinary and functional. And there's different kinds of genesis and families, but there's all kinds of mushrooms. Uh, one fascinating little fact is about 25% of the Earth's biomass. So 25% of the Earth's biomass is fungal matter. So they're literally everywhere. 
And the other fact that kind of illustrates the diversity of mushrooms is that every breath we take, we inhale mushroom spores or seeds of mushrooms. So they're in the air. Not ever, all of them are visible. Some are underground and they grow on trees and on the ground. So they're, they're kind of all over the place. That's so fascinating. And so you mentioned that they are in a separate kingdom even from plants, because I think that's maybe a common misconception. People think that they're just another type of plant, but they're completely cellularly different, correct? Yeah, this is, it's definitely probably the biggest myth around the fungi is that they're a vegetable. You know, it's like you have your vegetables on pizza and then you have a little bit of mushrooms on top. Or if you don't want uh, meat on your pasta, people have like a mushroom pasta or something like that. That's kind of the common things that you see uh, on the marketplace. But they are actually their own kingdom, same way as bacteria is different from plants and obviously animals as well. So so they are technically kind of part of a plant-based diet, but they're not plants and they actually are both kind of vegan and paleo. Um, but because they're a kingdom, not all of them are good for you. Same way as some plants will actually hurt you. They're either poisonous or allergenic. Uh, same way some mushrooms are not good for you. And then some mushrooms are incredibly good for you. Are there any kind of general rules as to like within the kingdom of that, that encompasses mushrooms to kind of determine which ones are going to be beneficial versus not? There's a pretty good rule of thumb. And the rule of thumb is if they grow or should grow on trees, they are never poisonous and always functional. Like with anything, there might be one exception, maybe two to that rule. But generally speaking, if they grow on trees, they're safe and good for you. If they grow on the ground, you really need to know what you're getting. That makes sense. Good rule of thumb. And so if I'm remembering correctly, um, back to like high school biology, that penicillin is actually grown from a fungi. Is that right? And if so, like that to me explains why they can be so beneficial at such small doses because they're used, I believe, in pharmaceuticals as well, right? Super widely, actually. So uh, I guess the other thing is that a lot of people, uh, besides lumping them with vegetables, is like, hey, I've been told I can't have mushrooms or I don't know if mushrooms really work. There's actually the animal kingdom, animalia, and the fungi kingdom used to be part of the same super kingdom in the past. And that's why we are very close to, much closer to fungi than we are to plants. So mushrooms, for example, breathe oxygen like we do and expel CO2. They need to eat things. They can produce their own foods. Plants can use photosynthesis. So uh, there's a lot of similarity. And probably because of that DNA similarity, up to 50% of our DNA shared with fungi and over 80, 85% of our RNA, how we synthesize proteins, for example, is similar to fungi. And they are, they can be very bioavailable and the medicine, quote unquote, um, can be very powerful. So about 40% of all pharmaceuticals utilize fungi. And the latest statistic I saw was that out of the 20 best-selling pharmaceuticals in the world, 10 utilize fungi. So you see them, penicillin is the famous one, but you can see them in, um, in immunosuppressants and for diabetes, there's various drugs that use fungi. So autoimmune is probably the one that has recently popped up with a lot of, uh, a lot of fungal based medicine. That is fascinating. I had no idea that number was so high that that large of a percentage. Um, and I, I'm guessing this is not a new thing, correct? Cause I've seen references to people using mushrooms for their benefits for thousands of years, but there's a really long history of humans using medicinal type mushrooms 
throughout history, right? Yeah. So let's uh, so let's take the psychedelics out that are often talked about in this concept. But even without that, we know a very very long time uh, indigenous cultures utilize fungi. Um, sometimes for vitamin D. So for example, Finland, where I come from, there's really long, dark winters. So people ate mushrooms during the winter time for seasonal depression and getting vitamin D. Uh, basically, fungi or mushrooms are kind of like the only places to get plant-based vitamin D. And sometimes um, because of this DNA similarity, it's just very good for us. And uh, so we've used them for a long time, I guess from a more paleo-esque environment, uh, the Iceman Otzi might be familiar to some listeners. So they found a man in Austrian Alps on this Austrian-Italian border frozen in ice. And that's how we partly figured out how some of these, uh, our ancestors lived. And this Otzi Iceman actually had two medicinal mushrooms with him. One was set to be with him to carry fire and the other one because he had worms in his digestive tract. So he used these antiviral, antibacterial fungi kind of to heal his gut and keep him, his immunity in check. So that's what we assume now at least. So, But there's uh, multiple thousands of years of historical use with functional mushrooms for functional purposes. Wow, that's really cool. And before we go further, I'd love to hear your own personal story and how you came into this world and became such an expert. I know that it, the bio mentioned that you grew up on a farm in Finland, which sounds amazing in its own right, but I'm curious how that developed into this passion for spreading education about mushrooms. Yeah, it's definitely a lineage thing to get going. So I'm a 13th generation uh, farmer and forager, and my mom took me and my older brother out foraging for mushrooms, but also berries and shoots and leaves. And, um, that's kind of how I got going. And then my great grandfather started this ecological school that followed the normal curriculum, but it also had kind of aspects of like Waldorf and Steiner type schooling. So we built nests for owls and dried herbs and stuff. Um, so that Finnish educational system in general is pretty odd and <laughs> different from the American. Um, and then uh, later I studied chemistry and nutrition and about 13 years ago, kind of randomly won an innovation award for discovering this rare mushroom growing in Finland. And that kind of cut me deeper into the mushroom rabbit hole. And then finally, just personal experiences using these functional mushrooms that grow on trees and, and their effects was kind of like, so there's multiple waves, but starting with the lineage and educational system and then having this discovery of a rare mushroom that kind of got me going into the world of fungi. Wow. So I want to go deeper on all the different types of mushrooms that you're familiar with. But first, I'd love to hear a little bit more, um, if you don't mind sharing, about the Finnish uh, school system and also just the way that things are taught there. Because I know statistically, you guys typically are highest in the world in pretty much every educational category. And you mentioned that it's unconventional. So I'd love to hear a little bit more for all the moms listening. Yeah, so I've personally studied in five countries, the UK, France, Finland, um, Canada, and the US. And there's definitely differences between all uh, educational systems. And I think where Finland really thrives is the early part of education when how to make everyone be pretty engaged. And what's kind of the differences that I've seen in, to the, for example, the US system is that really didn't get grades until much later. So there was no, the competition or if you were a smart student or not smart student didn't come in until more like high school. 
So most of elementary school and even middle school really got like pass or fail or very simple grading. So um, you didn't know who was like necessarily smarter than the others. The other one that is really odd is we have very little school. So I think we have the least amount of schooling hours and the least amount of homework and in, in around the world. So um, we don't compete as much. They really let you have hobbies in a non-competitive organized way. A lot of playtime. Playtime is huge. There really isn't as also teachers are usually top of their class. So if you're a teacher in Finland, it's very highly well respected. And that's also kind of a big thing. Um, I think that the teachers are top of the class and there's limited homework and there's a lot of playtime. So I'd probably say those are the biggest differences. Also, all education is free on all levels. So even if you want to go to the best med school or medical school or business school, or whatever, they're all free. Um, so that, I think that also kind of separates Finland from a lot of other countries. That's so fascinating. I think back to my own childhood and I was definitely like a very type A student and I internalized very early because of the grading system that like any answer that was wrong was bad. And so I like became very, very concerned with getting perfect grades. And it was because at that very early age, that competitiveness kind of was ignited. And it was like to a child, like those red X's are pretty bad. So that's fascinating that they do that. And I love that they make playtime a priority because as a mom and a homeschooling mom, um, that's always been my gut is that the world needs right now critical thinkers and free thinkers and entrepreneurs to fix a lot of these problems that we have in the world, people like you. And um, I love that that seems to be something kind of built into the education system in Finland. So cool. One really random fact, and obviously it's easy to generalize with digital facts, all kinds of things, but in Finnish language, we really don't have a word like accountability, but that really doesn't exist. I could just build in that you do what you're supposed to do. Um, there really isn't a word for it directly. So that's also, I think, a pretty funny way is like you culturally built in to do good work. But also work is also playtime and other things like that. So I think that's also pretty fascinating. Definitely a lesson we can learn for sure. And so I want to make sure we have time to delve into all the different types of mushrooms because I have, I have so many questions. Um, but to start, can you kind of just take us through in general, what are some of the beneficial properties in mushrooms that offer benefit to the body? Um, I mean, like I said, these are not a new trend. People have been using these for thousands of years. But what are some of the ways that they interact with the body? So let's talk more about the culinary and functional mushrooms, and there's a little bit of an overlap. So culinary mushrooms tend to be the mushrooms, if you go to the grocery store that you see, that's your butter mushroom, cremini mushroom. Those mushrooms tend to have pretty good fibers uh, and prebiotics for the body. Some have protein in them, so they can be used a little bit like as a substitute for protein um, or in addition to other protein sources. And some of them have vitamin D, some of them have B vitamins. Uh, that being said, some people cannot eat culinary mushrooms, such as if you have candida, for example, you are not supposed to eat portobello. So portobello can be not good for everyone, and then benefits are like okay. And then we have a group of these functional mushrooms that are like the most nutrient-dense mushrooms. And some of those have culinary elements, such as shiitake is also a culinary great mushroom, uh, tastes delicious, has protein and fibers. And maitake or enoki might be the ones that you might find. Maitake is other names, hen of the woods. So again, fibers, mushrooms are a great source of vitamin D. Um, they can have B vitamins and they can have certain minerals. 
But then what these functional mushrooms that shiitake and maitake are also, but there's also these sturdier mushrooms such as reishi or reishi, R-E-I-S-H-I, and chaga, C-H-A-G-A, they also have these more immune-supporting properties. So in very simple way, functional mushrooms have two kinds of properties, water-soluble, things that soak in water, and those are great for immunity. There's especially compounds like polysaccharides and very particular type of polysaccharides like beta-D-glucans. And these are amazing to modulate the immune system and really good for your gut biome. So I think almost all mushrooms are, top mushrooms are good for immunity and gut health. And through that, they can affect positively energy production and other elements. Then they have more fat-soluble, non-water-soluble elements that are more adaptogenic. So they can help with things like improving uh, cognitive function or sleep quality. But that's sometimes very mushroom-dependent. So lion's mane mushroom, for example, would be great for brain and productivity versus uh, reishi mushroom might be more calming and grounding mushroom for the afternoon and evening. Um, So they have slightly different skills, but the kind of overall theme is immunity and gut health. And then for culinary mushrooms, it's fiber and certain vitamins and minerals in them. That makes sense. And I know, so you run Four Sigmatic, which I love all of your products. I am a huge fan of your coffee and I want to go into more depth on each of those. But um, can we kind of do a broad overview of the different mushrooms that you guys have chosen to use and why? So you mentioned them, I think, in in what you just said, but to go a little deeper. So um, probably the most well-known one that I've seen in just the natural health world in general is cordyceps. Is that, uh, you guys use that as well. Can you explain what are the reasons you use that specifically and what kind of purposes someone might use it for if they were going to drink it like in your products? Yeah. Cordyceps is the most known functional or medicinal mushroom in the United States. And one of the reasons is that it supports energy production. And in my experience, everybody wants more energy, even if they're tired. It's a thing that people want. So this mushroom can potentially help increase VO2 max, which is your maximum oxygen intake. So if you can have more oxygen in your body, you don't need caffeine and sugar necessarily to be energized. If you have more oxygen, you usually feel better in so many different ways. And this can help it. And it's also shown to help with ATP production. And ATP is almost like the energy factory within every cell of your body. So in every cell of your body, there's a way how that cell produces energy and is the ATP production. And and cordyceps can improve it up to 50%. So Having energy without caffeine, sugar, or other kind of stimulants is kind of why cordyceps has become the most popular of these functional mushrooms. That makes sense. Um, And another one you guys use quite often is chaga. Is that a similar benefit or does it have different properties? Different. So both of them, again, would be great for immunity and gut health. But chaga, also known as king of medicinal mushrooms, is slightly different in quite a many ways. Like it takes a little bit longer to grow but it is incredibly high in antioxidants. Um, internet loves to debate about this, but chaga might be the most antioxidant-rich food gram per gram. So a cup of chaga tea would equal to like 30 pounds of carrots in antioxidants. So pretty insane. It's particularly high in melanin, which some of the people you know um, is related to our skin and also few other energy productions, but this antioxidant is particularly good for the skin. And so chaga 
besides being good for immunity and gut health, also is really high in antioxidants and good for the skin. And I think antioxidants is one of those words that get thrown out a lot, but I think it's there's many kinds of antioxidants and they offer different kinds of benefits. But I really like the color black in general with, with antioxidants. I know there's a lot of talk about the rainbow diet, which is good, but I really like black foods for longevity and a beautiful radiant skin. So black olives, coffee, real cacao, uh, and chaga mushroom. So those are black sesame seeds as well. Um, so chaga is great for skin and uh, general antioxidants that help, for example, if you're traveling a lot or, or exposed to a lot of pollutions. That's so cool. I wouldn't have thought of that as black being part of the eating the rainbow, but it makes perfect sense. And there's since it's not coming from a dye, there has to be some natural property there that's creating the color. Um, that's a really cool point. And so and did you say is higher in antioxidants one cup than 30 pounds of carrots? That's incredible. Correct. So yeah, it's incredibly, incredibly high. It it was used in Finland as a coffee substitute. So Finland, while having a great educational system, is also known for coffee drinking. So we drink more than any other nation per capita and about three times more amount of coffee than Americans, which is kind of insane sometimes. And uh, during Second World War, we were attacked both by the Germans and the Russians, and we run out of coffee beans, and we figured out that we'll start brewing this mushroom growing on a birch tree, and it, it looks like coffee, tastes more like black tea, and uh, creates this incredibly alkaline alkaline beverage that has these huge amount of antioxidants, but also minerals like cesium and other things like that that really nourish the body. That's impressive that you guys drink more coffee than Americans. I thought we were like quartering <laughs> the market on that one. But you guys also statistically have much better health outcomes. And it, like every report that comes out, you guys rank much higher than the U.S., in both health and happiness. So maybe there's something to it. That's awesome. <laughs> also, so you mentioned melanin, um, which is what basically creates that pigment and skin that protects you from the sun. So you can actually get that in a dietary sense from chaga? Correct. So it's a group of these dark black color pigments and it can be produced on the skin, but it's also an antioxidant. So, um, and really having a high amounts of skin uh, high amounts of melanin will protect the skin against UVB re radiation, for example. And um, I know you've talked about it in the past, but I, for example, personally really don't use any any sunscreen. Um, I have basically antioxidants from chaga, and I use a lot of astaxanthin. I was just in Tulum, Mexico, and I live in California, so occasionally I'm exposed to sun. So unless I'm sailing or surfing or somewhere, reason why I'm completely unable to get shade every now and then, I really don't use any sunblock, but I so far I haven't been sunburned in a long, long time, partly because I think the chaga and the melanin and the antioxidants are protecting the skin from within. Yeah, that's I 100% agree. We don't use sunscreen either. If, if we're in the sun for a long time, we just opt to cover up and put on a hat and a shirt versus the sunscreen because there, as you know, are so many problems with many sunscreens. Um, but so I did many. notice years ago when we started eating a much more natural diet that had a lot more antioxidants that I just didn't burn. Um, I'm Irish, so I don't have very many protective compounds naturally in my skin. I'm not naturally tan, but I found I don't burn ever since changing my diet. And chaga was one of the things I added in um, right around that time. So that's really cool to know. Um, another one you mentioned in conjunction was lion's mane. So can you take us through what that is and what it does? Yeah, it's not the hair of a lion, but it's a mushroom that grows on 
on trees that kind of does look like a mane of a lion. It's also known as a pom-pom mushroom, so it kind of looks like a white mini pom cheerleader pom-pom or something like that. It grows a lot on the northeast. What makes it different from almost any other food? Because, for example, if you want energy, cordyceps is not your only solution. There's a lot of natural products from B vitamins to rhodiola to ginseng to all kinds of, obviously, caffeine as well. Uh, to get energy. But what lion's mane does is really hard to get elsewhere. It helps to protect and rebuild nerve growth factors. And it really like really helps with the neurons, the nervous system, and through that with brain function and memory. So it is kind of one of the really only culinary edible, quote unquote, nootropics. A lot of the nootropics, even the ones, good ones and that work, tends to be kind of on the risky side, especially long-term used versus Lion's mane is a culinary mushroom that also can help with your brain and, and nervous system. So it's a pretty fascinating one. The monks used to call it uh, the smart food. So it's kind of a smart food in its own way. And I, I think it was used for meditation, but I think there's pretty interesting studies now showing its brain power, but boosting benefits as well. That's super fascinating. And I've recently cut back on drinking caffeine every day and just I feel like it's more effective when I cycle it. So on days when I'm not doing caffeine, I love you guys have a lion's mane, like elixir type thing, like it mixes into hot water. And I feel like that turns my brain on just as well as caffeine, if not more so. And I love that that's out there now because and I know there are people who have to avoid caffeine for whatever reason as well. So I love that there are now options that are coffee free as well that you guys have. Yeah, we actually started all caffeine free. And then we realized that uh, people still crave for it. And, and caffeine is actually, and coffee uh, is really incredible. It's actually the number one antioxidant in our diet. And there's really in, impressive uh, meta studies already. So studies of studies on how it can help, help prepare, protect the body against all kinds of uh, dementia related and prevent things like that. So Coffee is incredible, but it is a stimulant. And if you use it excessively and you don't take breaks either over the weekends or a couple weeks using it and one week not using it or whatever, it stops working for um, its kind of energy protecting. The antioxidants will still be there, but if you want the best of coffee, you have to cycle it and then using something else to kind of spark you up during those times, such as lion's mane elixir is kind of a smart way of still maintaining the ritual of a hot beverage that turns you ready for work or productive things. Yeah, absolutely. We have an entire basket of everything for Sigmatic in our coffee bar, and that's pretty much my go-to place every morning. Um, another mushroom you guys use, and I love for at nighttime, is reishi, but can you explain how it's different and how it's the same to the others? Yeah, again, reishi can be used for gut health. There's pretty impressive studies in the last two years on gut, gut biome improvement with people who've used reishi, also studies with, uh, with animals, rats, about the topic. But what makes it different from the others and why is it often called the queen of all mushrooms is that it really has these triterpenes or terpenes have now become pretty popular with all these cannabis and hemp-based products on the market. But triterpenes are very calming and grounding things. They can work your endocrine system, which is a kind of slow-moving messenger system and, and hormone system. And so that's why... Rishis, even though it's not sedative, like things like valeriana or kava that can be sedative to your body, Rishi is very adaptogenic in its way of how it calms the body. Sometimes we sleep eight hours and wake up tired, and, and that's not because we didn't get enough sleep. It's more the quality of sleep was not there. And Rishi is one of those safe 
ways of supporting body's own ability to de- sleep deeper. Got it. And so you guys have all of these in like a basically a powdered form that people can add to water. And so I'd love to delve into like, what is the actual the best way to get the benefits of these mushrooms? Because when we're talking about the plant kingdom, there's certainly a lot of people who think that raw is best and you should have like fresh foods. Um, But you've already explained that mushrooms are in their own kingdom and they're different. Is there a difference in how they should be extracted and prepared versus like plants that can be eaten raw? Yes, a huge difference. Uh, mushrooms are extremophiles, and they've learned themselves to protect uh, themselves from all kinds of damage. And um, they build this, especially they have this structure and compound called chitin. And chitin might be familiar to some people uh, being, for example, on the shell of a lobster, but it's a compound we can't digest. And some plants do this as well. Like you have to prepare them um, to be in a usable form by soaking or something like that. But mushrooms cannot be eaten raw and should not be eaten raw. Most mushrooms you physically can eat raw, but the, even the ones you could, you should not. You need to cook them. Think of them more like bone broth. Um, you're not eating the bone, you're drinking the liquid that comes from extracting it. So mushrooms are very similar to that. So they require cooking and some other solvent, be it an alcohol, so a tincture, that you can later get rid of the alcohol, but you use the alcohol as a solvent. Uh, but hot water is the most common one. But mushrooms really like heat and lipids. So even if you're having culinary mushrooms, I highly recommend cooking them, sauteing them on any kind of a good fat. And that's how the magic comes out, heat and lipids or heat and uh, alcohol. Okay. Cool. And so from what I've read, I have a little bit of background in like herbalism and studying that. So that would mean for mushrooms, you would either be extracting as a decoction or an alcohol extraction in a tincture. Is that, am I getting it right? Yeah, exactly. So if you, if you make coffee or tea, you're actually making an herbalist practice by doing an infusion, um, which is a few minutes long, depending on the particle size and type of leaf. But with more sturdy substances, such as these functional mushrooms or certain roots that grow the ginsengs of the world, they need a little more time. And that's often from one hour to 24 hours. And that would be more like a decoction. So you're absolutely right. The The most important part about using mushrooms is doing a decoction. And the second most important part is some kind of a compound that helps dissolve the non-water soluble things. Most commonly a tincture, which is also, by the way, part water and part alcohol because it's never fully alcohol. So um, those are the two things that you do. And if you combine them, that's often called a dual extraction. Um, and if you don't want the alcohol, the tincture also, you can, um, drop tinctures into hot water and it will, uh, the alcohol will evaporate. Um, so that's also a pretty clever way. If you have buy tinctures for your children from the natural product stores and, or using glycerin is another one, which is, I don't like personally the flavor, but it is another way how you can extract some of these mushrooms and, other herbs that are more sturdy. Okay, very cool. So at Four Sigmatic, what are you guys using the dual extraction method for both? Because I love that they're in convenient powders and I'm so curious to understand how they get from like a fresh mushroom on a tree to amazing tasting coffee products or mushroom products. Yeah, it's uh, the path from the forest to the cup. It's a pretty fascinating one. And it's actually kind of funny because so many foods we eat at the grocery store as well, we don't always think how they got there. Even natural paleo foods sometimes require quite the quite a few steps. And yes, we use uh, dual extraction in all our products, 
with some mushrooms, there is very strong evidence saying that you should use both the water-soluble and non-water-soluble compounds. With some mushrooms, we don't yet know, but we just figure out that it's better to use it with everyone. So we use hot water and uh, an alcohol extraction. And in order for them to be extracted, we have to collect them. Uh, about one-third of our mushrooms are top mushrooms that we use are wild-crafted, so we collect them in the forest, or they're grown in tree stumps. So mushrooms can also be grown in a laboratory. I'm not the biggest fan of that. Actually, most mushrooms on the U.S. market are, are grown on grains. So if you have problems with starches or grains, just make sure that your mushroom is not mushroom mycelium or it's not grown on any sort of grains. Usually it's rice that they grow it in, but there's also other types of growing mediums. Um, the magic, magic of mushrooms really come from the trees. They're host. And like I said in the very beginning, mushrooms like animals cannot produce their own food. So we have to eat something and the best mushrooms like to eat the tree and the tree makes them stronger. So if a cow wants to eat grass and not grain, it's kind of similar with mushrooms, except they don't want to eat grass. They want to eat trees and decomposed trees. And that's where the magic comes from. So you just want to have that and then it gets dried. And if it's sun dried, it gets vitamin D, then it's cooked. Um, and it may be tinctured and then you spray dry it into a powder. So you blow it through a high heat and it becomes the liquid turns into powder. Mushrooms are so fibrous and sturdy. They don't require binders, but some products on the market might have like binders such as maltodextrin in them. Uh, but if you use the real good kind of mushrooms, you don't need that. And then you combine it with something else because the end result is very bitter and very earthy. And some people don't like bitters, so we combine it with a little bit of cacao or a little bit of coffee or herbs. And, and that's how we try to make it in a way that it doesn't necessarily even taste like mushrooms. Well, you guys have done a good job. It's definitely, it's my go-to coffee these days. I'm curious if there's a specific like health benefit to the combination of mushrooms and coffee, or is it just for taste? Because you mentioned coffee has all these antioxidant benefits on its own, and so do mushrooms. Is there a benefit to that synergy? Yes, 100%. So... Um, as you know, studying herbalism, it's not really, we never really use a single herb or even when you cook at home, you combine flavors, but also benefits. Like you add some kind of a lipid or you add here salt to get this flavor out, but it also usually makes it more bioavailable and mushrooms are not any different. In this case, coffee, while amazing for energy and brain power and um, cardiovascular health with those antioxidants can also be very stimulating and draining for, for example, our adrenals and our other energy production systems. It's also kind of acidic. Some people get heartburn and through that stimulation, they might get jittery and mushrooms actually kind of do the opposite. <laughs> they are very healing for the gut. They are easy for the gut and mushroom like a chaga is incredibly high in those minerals that make it more alkaline forming. So it balances the acidity of the coffee without spoiling the flavor. And then these mushrooms that are more adaptogenic helps the body's own energy production system to kind of support the energy. So you necessarily don't need as much caffeine and you'll still feel energized. Or if you absolutely want full dose of caffeine, at least it kind of supports those, those systems. So it's not as draining for the body. So there's definitely synergies. And like mentioned, chaga also has antioxidants. So it really doubles down on the benefits of antioxidants in the coffee. That makes sense. 
This podcast is brought to you by Dry Farm Wines. This is the only wine I drink anymore. After researching and finding that many other wines contain added sugar, dyes like ultra red and mega purple, and filtering agents, including fish bladders, egg whites, and some other unsavory ingredients, and things like sawdust to improve the taste. But the dry farm part is important too. What this means is that the grapes are not irrigated. Without the water, they don't get as big or as sweet, yielding higher nutrient and lower alcohol wines naturally. Their wines are lab tested for purity and to make sure that they are free of even trace amounts of pesticides and herbicides. And they're all sourced from small family dry farm vineyards all over the world. I absolutely love their wines and I find them to be less expensive than other high quality wines. And Wellness Mama listeners can get an extra bottle of wine for a penny at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash wine. That's wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash wine. This podcast is brought to you by Paleo Valley. If you have not tried these, they're awesome. They make grass-fed, naturally fermented beef and now pastured turkey sticks that are high in protein and nutrients and also a good source of probiotics because they're naturally fermented and they're shelf-stable so you don't have to keep them refrigerated. We bring these along whenever we travel and our kids love them all the time as part of an on-the-go meal. I bring them whenever I travel because they've saved me so many times from airport food. And Wellness Mama listeners can get 20% off of any order at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash paleo valley, all one word, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash paleo valley. So you've mentioned like some mushrooms have more of a grounding, calming benefit, others are more uh, energizing. So is there any good rule of thumb as to what time of day to consume different ones just to like not interfere with sleep or productivity? Yes, there are. Um, that being said, when you use real whole foods and especially these so, so-called so adaptogens, uh, you can break these rules, but the other following rules that I'm going to tell is a very good starting point. Because I definitely know that if you're listening to this and you're not used to using some of these mushrooms and they have difficult names like reishi or chaga, um, it can be overwhelming at first. So it's good to kind of break it down where to start. I would say is that if you really want to start the day right, I recommend chaga. I don't think in the morning we need energy, but we need protection from the days and the stress. And chaga is really amazing for that and also soothing for the gut. So chaga mushroom is kind of my favorite morning. And then midday when we start to naturally get a little bit of a slump, we might want to do a little siesta or we need our brain kind of focus goes off. I really recommend cordyceps or lion's mane for that kind of energy and concentration. Also, if you like to go work out and do some sort of a movement. Cordyceps can be great before that uh, workout or movement. And then Rishi, as mentioned before, is kind of an evening time, afternoon time product. So for example, having a chaga elixir in the morning and, and or mushroom coffee with chaga, and then in the afternoon have a little cordyceps cocoa or um, elixir or lion's mane elixir, like you said, is a great choice. And then in the evening having like a Rishi calming hot chocolate uh, which is great also. Got it. And I feel like mushrooms are an interesting thing because they do kind of skirt the line between like medicinal and also just like food. So is there a maximum dose of these mushrooms? Like should they, can they be taken all the time or is there a maximum that, or a time that you should cycle them? Yeah, that's actually fascinating because food is, in my mind, it is medicine and and um, and all food should be give us energy and, and have a functional purpose. Obviously, some have a little bit less than others. 
and mushrooms definitely are very effective. That being said, they are an, a food that has been consumed for thousands of years. So there's a, there's a lot of safety around them, especially these top functional mushrooms. Um, that being said, I would say depending how they're extracted and how they're processed, somewhere between like one to five grams, one to three grams, or 1,000 to 3,000 milligrams per day of mushroom extracts is kind of where you're probably going to plateau the benefits. And instead of having more that day, you might just want to split it out over multiple days. So especially these gut and immune system supporting polysaccharides are really amazing for like a small dose everyday kind of consumption because they slowly build up your immune system over months and weeks and really support the guts over months and weeks. And so I really recommend using small amounts on a consistent basis and mixing them is really also beneficial. So think of them like dark leafy greens. You don't always want to have kale or spinach. You want to have different kinds of dark leafy greens and different ways of getting chlorophyll into your body. So same with these top mushrooms. So mix up shiitake, maitake, enoki, lion's mane, rishi chaga. There's no reason why not you couldn't mix and match them. Good to know. And that means also like for your elixirs and coffees, you're unlikely to overdose just making them a part of your daily routine. Um, you're not going to hit any too high levels with that. In fact, you're just kind of supporting, like you said, over time, you're building up the body by doing that, correct? Correct. So one to three cup of mushrooms or one to, or added them to smoothies and foods is, is, is a good good place to be. So you're not going to overdose. That being said, uh, you probably get more bang for your buck if you split it over a longer time period more evenly. Good to know. Um, is Another question I get all the time is what about pregnant and nursing moms? There's a lo- pretty large segment of my listeners and readers, and I get asked that about everything I talk about, but especially about mushrooms and coffee. So can you weigh in on that? Yeah. Well, first thing I wanted to say is like probably any research paper or scientific article, I think the the few hundred thousand years of monthly instinct will probably tell you what you're craving for. So I think if you're embarking on that journey, it's just good to taste small amounts of things and see how your body feels. And if you're craving more of them or if it's saying no, so I can give general rules and, and tips, but at the end of the day, it's just good to taste very small amounts. And for example, caffeine for, because of our genetic background and for other reasons like some people can handle coffee um better than others and just the fact and having small amounts and see how you feel is probably the best way to go the one mushroom that i see most pregnant mothers or uh, uh new mothers using a lot is reishi partly because it's calming and and grounding benefit and and there can be a lot of stress in physical mental emotional stress around pregnancy uh during the time and and when you're breastfeeding, so having a calm, grounded body is probably what a lot of people crave for. Um, chaga and lion's mane, obviously, nervous system support and antioxidants also super interesting. The one that I kind of would be more careful with is the cordyceps one. Generally, like energy products, even natural, and their ability to kind of increase the yin in, in the body is, is something maybe you should first lower the dose and see how you feel and or have just a smaller amount at first and see if you can handle more. But uh, I would be more most pro with Reishi and the most careful with cordyceps of them. But you definitely can have them during pregnancy. But it's always good to consult your doctor or professionals on is it specifically for you suited. 
Absolutely. And one note that I should point out, I think if I'm remembering, your coffees have less caffeine than normal, most normal coffee anyway, correct? So if you're trying to reduce caffeine while pregnant, um, that was one of the things I felt fine having a little bit of your coffee every day or every few days while pregnant because I knew it was like a lower in caffeine. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, it's like half or even like a third of, of a normal coffee, depending what normal coffee to you means. So yeah, it's it's also, it's more like having a cup of green tea than a cup of coffee as far as energy goes, uh, as far as uh, caffeine amount goes. Cool. And what about kids? Because I also get that question and I know my kids love to like drink out of my cup every time I have anything of yours that I'm drinking, but is that safe for kids or are there ones that shouldn't be consumed until they're a certain, until child's a certain age? So let me give three angles to this again, starting before starting with the disclaimer that different kids have different situations. But I think the one thing like I have not been sick for over 10 years one day and I fly about 40 to 60 times a year and travel around the world and build a business and I just don't get sick. While I love to contribute mushrooms to a lot of that success and I think they did. Also, it's partly growing up in a farm in Finland, you know, touching, being exposed to animals and a lot of bacteria building my immune system. I think I'm a really huge proponent of that. Let kids get sick uh, and be exposed to them in different elements. So their, their natural immune system will grow and then later, um, use their body for, uh, use mushrooms to support their body's own ability to have a strong immune system. That being said, if the kid is a sick a lot, that might be helpful. Small amounts of polysaccharides is definitely good for kids and a small amounts of mushrooms. Yes. I think the reishi, um, the cacao is the most popular that I've seen with children because it tastes good and there's a little bit smaller amount of reishi. And so that, that seems to be the go-to for kids, a reishi mushroom, but I would let kids be sick and help them first build their immune system in the first, like one to three, one to four, five years old, and then start incorporating more mushrooms into their, their life. But I definitely ate mushrooms in small amounts as a kid. So I would remember dosage and not to use too much mushrooms when they're super, super small and also kind of scaling back the dosage. So if you take two, three packets a day of our products, maybe the kid will take a half a packet and that way it will be more beneficial for kids. I love that you said that about bacteria too, because the research on that is really astounding. Kids who grew up on farms and especially Amish children have much better health outcomes throughout their entire life than kids who grew up in a very sanitized environment. And I think that's something else that we've kind of forgotten largely in, in society is that we're actually meant to interact with the environment in its bacterial sense. Like there's more bacteria in our body than human cells. That's super important. And especially like you said, kids are developing their lifelong immune system at that time. And they need those bacterial inputs to be able to work with to do that. So I love, love, love that you brought that up as well. Yeah, I definitely dropped a lot of my food on the ground and it had sand and I still ate it. I'm not going to lie. And especially when I was working at the farm as a little kid with my father, we, we didn't always wash our hands. Like we would be working in the forest, cutting trees. And then we sat down for lunch and I, I, I didn't wash my hands. I just, <laughs> so up to obviously a certain extent, but I will not be scared of bacteria and especially touching animals is particularly, I think a great way to improve gut biome and, um, uh, and the skin. 
Absolutely. If I'm remembering the study right, I think children who had uh, like a pet in the home, like a dog or a cat, um, they had a decreased likelihood of allergies and asthma because of that bacterial input. And then children who interacted with farm animals, the, the effect was even more profound. So I, one of those ancient pieces of wisdom that I think we've largely forgotten, but that we need to get back to. And I don't want to finish this interview without talking a little bit more about Finland, because first of all, now, like having heard you talk a little bit of it, I kind of want to move there. Um, but also from what I've read, I've never been, but there's so many cool things that, that the Finnish culture does that we don't do. And one of those is sauna use, at least from what I've read, that's a very large part of the culture there. Is that true? And can you ta- speak to that at all? Yeah. Sauna is, is the only word in the Oxford dictionary out of the Finnish language. So it's technically originally a Finnish word. While the concept of a hot room is widely found around the world, sauna as we know it is is from Finland, and it's it's a big thing. I mean, just there's over two million saunas in Finland and five million people. So, um, my parents, for example, we have I believe six saunas, and at our farm, and currently there's two people living there for six saunas. So we take it seriously. One of my favorite jokes is that. Finland launched its uh, first Burger King, which took a long time, and we've never done that. But they built a sauna in the Burger King. So you can be in a sauna and order uh, Burger King food out of the sauna, which is all messed up. But just tells how big of a deal saunas are in the country. So very much from Finland. And I think it's partly also kind of our longevity play is going to the sauna and the frozen lake, going to the sauna and a cold lake. And that back and forth is a is the big part of our culture, and I think partly also our health system. So that's for pretty much everybody. That's not just like a fringe thing like here. There's those weird ones of us who will get into ice baths, but that's actually built in to the culture there, even like for kids that you guys would get in ice water or ice and then in the sauna? Yeah, or roll in the snow at in the wintertime. So you can stand in outside when it's minus 20 Fahrenheit after the sauna, or you can roll in the snow, or you can jump in a frozen lake. So I love Wim Hof and I think he's doing amazing work and teaching a lot of good to the the world. But I remember the first time somebody came hyping is like, have you heard of this Wim Hof and going to the icy lake? And I'm like, yes. And I can remember my grandma, like we all got the whole family got naked (laughs) into the lake and it was not in a big deal. Like as a kid, you can't really, you think the way you live is the only way how you can live. And for me, sauna and frozen lake or sauna and a cold lake is so normal that I really can't even think life without it. So it's funny that now it's finally catching on here in the U.S. as well. I'm so happy for it. That's hilarious to me because I was introduced to like really high heat saunas and to ice baths from friends who are like would be considered hardcore biohackers and like they do this and they get all like tough and like testosterone and get in the ice water and see who can do it longer. And you're like, yeah, my grandma taught me when I was five. That's amazing. I love that. And you guys don't have just like, like in the US, we have kind of like, I feel like compared to you guys, pretty tame saunas because ours tend to get up to like 150 or so. And what I've read, you guys have like the old school saunas that can get really, really hot too, right? Yeah, you're not going to stay there that long. It's like, I almost say if you can be in a sauna more than five minutes at a time, that's almost like not hot enough sauna. And then we hit ourselves with birch leaves and birch uh, leaves have a lot of good essential oils as well. And there's other traditions that are around the sauna that can also be contributed for good health. But definitely the fact that it's really hot and then you go really cold, that back and forth is where the magic happens. Because if you just do sauna by itself, it's, it often get a little pooped out. Um, but if you go sauna and cold, 
it's really amazing as well. And just doing cold is it's quite hardcore, but I think as a combination, they're they're definitely a winner. I would agree. I didn't ever think I could do the ice bath thing, but when I can go back and forth between sauna and ice, I can typically handle them both pretty well. And it's super invigorating. Like if you think coffee turns your brain on, like that turns your brain on times a hundred. It's amazing. So cool. And okay. So like I mentioned, Finland has us beat in pretty much every category, like education, longevity, health outcomes, everything. Are there any other factors you think that contribute to that or that you've taken from growing up in Finland and are still part of your life? Yeah, I, I guess now, as of late, Nordic food culture has become really trending. When I was a kid, it was considered the worst food in Europe. But now with with a lot of the farm-to-table, seasonal eating, foraging, a lot of the top restaurants in the world are actually Nordic, and the Nordic cuisine has become more popular. So uh, fermentation and seasonal eating and foraging, obviously, are big parts of it. Eating smaller fish. Uh, fattier fishes like salmon, uh, that's kind of a big thing. Eating the whole fish, um, those are those are pretty big parts of, and a lot of berries actually, um, huge on berries, which I think come from the Nordic culture that I've taken with me. Um, but there's also a lot of cultural things like very egalitarian society. Uh, when I was a kid, we've had female president, female prime minister. Uh, it's very even for example, in the Finnish language, we don't have he or she, we just call like human beings basically. And so I constantly in English language make a mistake with he and she because I grew up not knowing like language wise, knowing the difference between men and women, we were just all human beings. I think that's also a part, especially right now with a lot of the conversation around, around, um, female rights around the world. And for a good reason, it's just something that was pretty part of the Finnish culture from the get go. So maybe those are some of the things that I brought with me when I moved to different countries and now the US. That's really cool. And probably also largely why you guys rank so well in happiness, because it seems like there's a lot of balance and um, like lots of important things in moderation and things having their, their time and their place. And I feel like even just letting children have childhood more to play is such an important developmental thing that so many countries don't do. And I love that that's just built in. That's something that's built into our family culture, but definitely not built into our society's culture right now, at least where we live. So I love that uh, you're raising awareness about that and that you've like brought that with you. It's such a cool idea. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, especially when you grow up in a small country, you understand that you're not the center of the universe and that's why you have to kind of get get really grounded. And I think some of the things that I really enjoy out of the Finnish culture is, for example, the Finland is the world's least corrupt country and really like trusting other human beings. Like sometimes it burns you, but at the same time, I'll rather be on the side where I want to believe the good in people and the honesty will be, kind of be the thing. And also the other thing that we're doing right now is connecting to technology. I also appreciate that even though Finland is based on a lot of like ancient traditional values, were progressive. Um, so Linux, uh, was invented in Finland or Nokia cell phones or angry birds or things like that. Or even Finland gave, it was the first country in the world to give internet access as a legal right for citizens. So everybody can educate themselves as well is kind of a big thing. Um, so I think a lot of those things are good. Obviously Finland has also things where they're much behind in countries like the United States, but at the same time for, I think there's some lessons that have been drawn from the unique Nordic culture. 
Absolutely. And like I said, it's on my bucket list now to visit. It sounds incredible. Um, For people listening, I would love if we could wrap up with kind of getting started advice for someone who definitely now understands from your explanation the benefits of these different types of medicinal mushrooms, but having never tried them, they're a little bit like skeptical of how to get started. Um, What would you offer for just like first timer advice or how to jump in and start integrating these substances into your life? Yeah, I mean, there's so many mushrooms that, like I said, some of the names are even difficult, can get overwhelming. But if you listen until now, I think you you probably already know a lot. But when in doubt, I would say it's start with the Rishi mushroom or Chaga mushroom. So Chaga is the king of mushrooms and Rishi is the queen of mushrooms. So those are the probably ones if you're in doubt um, to where to start. I really recommend using mushroom coffee or mushroom cacao. Because the the mushrooms that we talk about don't take like the mushrooms that most people think about, but they are very earthy and bitter. And so using them in coffee or cacao can make the flavor much more palatable as you're kind of getting used to the earthiness of these mushrooms. So start with chaga or reishi and start with a cacao or coffee are probably my two main tips on. And then obviously try to buy good quality organic and like I said, grown on trees or wildcrafted. I think those are the great places to start um, when you want to introduce more mushrooms into your life or then go to grocery store and cook shiitake mushrooms with butter or something like that. Great advice. And all the links to all the products we talked about will be in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm along with a special discount for listeners. So make sure you guys check that out. And I will also link to your book, um, Healing Healing Mushrooms, which is a fascinating read as well. So all those links will be in the show notes if you guys want to check them out. Um, but Taro, thank you so much for being here. I know you don't do many interviews and I'm honored that you took the time to be here and to share with us today. Yeah, that was a uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on and thanks for supporting the Mushroom Mission and sharing your own experiences, how you've used them and your family has used them. So appreciate the support for on behalf of all the mushrooms. And uh, thanks for having me on on this podcast. Of course. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening. And I hope to see you next time on the Healthy Moms podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.